Well, thank you, Cole. And I also want to say thank you, choir. Uh, and I'm not just speaking to the choir behind me, but you guys sounded uh, absolutely amazing this morning as you sang the sermon. And you sang about Jesus. And so I just love it when you sing. And I'm grateful that you are. Praise God for that. Amen. Um, in John chapter 1, so if you have, uh, have your Bibles open where Cole just read, stay there. John 1, in a series on who is Jesus. Who is Jesus? This is a good foundation for starting the gospel according to Mark. By God's accounting, there are only two groups of people in the world. Now, we group people in different ways, and uh, we talk about, in this world, different ethnicities and races, tribes. This is the time of year when people are really divided. They start putting their colors on. You know, they're the blue devils, or they're the, the, they're the silver eagles, or they're the golden eagles, or they're the broncos, or they're, how about them raiders? All the way down to those college teams and pro teams. We, we designate people in so many ways beyond that, don't we? But God really, in His accounting, sees two groups of people, those who are spiritually dead and blind and those who are alive and can see. In this room, there are those who are spiritually dead. But we can't look in someone's heart to see if they are resurrected to life or not, but God knows. God knows. If you go back to John chapter 1, you read how that in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Word, just a way of review. If you think about that in light of Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God created, you're going to find John had a meaning here, and that was for us to go back to Genesis 1 and know that God spoke everything into existence, and He did that through His Word. In the beginning was the Word. This doesn't mean in the beginning the Word became, the Word has always been. Everyone say always. Always been. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Very clear here that John wants us to know that the Word, who was the Lord Jesus Christ, the Logos, the reason of God, the logic of the world, is indeed God. Jesus is God. He's in the beginning with God. And then notice verse 3, all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Materialistic evolutionists claim life came from non-life. Scripture proclaims quite the opposite, that life comes from life. Question, which is more logical, animate coming from the inanimate, life coming from non-life? Have you ever had a rock in your yard become a puppy? One of the best Sunday school teachers I ever had wasn't a Sunday school teacher, it was my seventh grade earth science teacher. And I'll never forget Mr. Biles, because Mr. Biles always had a cup of coffee and was bold in his witness for Christ. I don't know if some of you had him, some of you know him. He was at Orange Park Junior High School. And I remember when we were sitting in class and we read our book and we read how that the world was how many ever millions of years old and what came about by naturalistic ways and chance. He said, okay, that's what the book says. Let me tell you what I believe. And then he took off his watch and he used the old illustration of the watchmaker and the watch. And he sat on his desk with his cup of coffee and his watch and he said, I just want to tell you about my watch. It's a very special watch. This watch I found. In fact, I didn't even find it. I found a bunch of parts and pieces and rocks and molecules and I just set them in a drawer and I came back after some time and all of those pieces and molecules that I, that I picked up and put in a drawer became this watch. 
and you're in seventh grade, you're going, no, it didn't. In the seventh grade, you can understand that the world didn't just come about by chance either. Life brings life. And that's what exactly John says about the Lord. Look at verse 4. Life originates with Jesus and emanates from Him, springs and flows from Him. Verse 4 is where we pick up. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Let's look at that passage. Look down at it. We could state it negatively this way. So man without the Creator, the Word, Jesus, is lifeless. And man without Jesus is in darkness. We could say it positively like John does here. Jesus is the reason there's life. Life comes from life. The reason there is life is because Jesus spoke it and God willed it. That's the reason we're here. And then we can take this a bit further. Since Jesus is the reason there is life, Jesus then is the reason for life. Pretty logical. We begin by reading about the logos, the logic of God. Now we're Reading the logic, it makes sense, this is reasonable, that life begets life, life is from God, and God is the reason we live. And so therefore, if you don't know Jesus, the Logos, you don't know the reason. You're even alive. Oh, we think we know. And we try to know. And we look everywhere to know. But we can't because we're in darkness. The logic is God, the Father. And why do I use the word logic? Because the word for word is logos. And so we find our reason in Christ. Okay, now we're getting somewhere here in John. JFK said while he was president, imagine being the president of the United States and making this statement. If I had to do it all over again, I would change my father, I would change my wife, and I would change my religion. I don't know what all was behind that. I've been reading some of it and realizing there was some emptiness in his life. And that's true for anyone, though. It doesn't matter how high you attain. Without Christ, you don't know your reason. The disciples were with the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus had just spoke to all of his followers. Some of them were following closely. Some of them were trying to decide, what do we do with Jesus? And Jesus said to them, you have to eat my flesh and you have to drink my blood. You just can't follow me at a distance. You have to have all of me. You know, uh, we're told in John chapter 6 that many of his disciples left and they no longer followed Christ. And Jesus looked at the 12. Can you imagine the scene as Jesus looks at the 12, peering into their eyes? People are leaving. They've just left church. They got mad and they're gone. You're telling me if, if my life has to be wrapped up in you, Jesus, then I, I'm not interested. I'm grateful that you can give me some bread, some fish. You can give me something to eat. I want what you can give me, but I don't want you. That's what happened. So people are leaving. I mean, their backs are to Jesus, and they're going home. Jesus pierces 12, and he says, do you also want to go away as well? Don't you love Peter? Sometimes he would speak to insert mouth, and then sometimes he would just say just the right thing. Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. 
And we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One from God. Jesus would say, you have to, if you are going to come after me, you have to eat me. You have to drink me. You have to follow me. You have to bow to me. And like a good shepherd, you have to be a sheep in my flock. So the Logos here is Lord. And he makes that claim all the way through the New Testament. Jesus, the Word, is Lord. There are those who would say, well, how in the world can Jesus Christ be God? That doesn't make sense. There have been lots of things that have been said concerning Jesus that are in error and unorthodox, that Jesus was simply a man and not deity, not God. But it's very clear, John wants us to know that Jesus Christ, the Logos of God, who life emanates from, is indeed Lord God Almighty. He is the Lord. Maybe you read in school how uh, some have said that uh, that is in, really an incalculable uh, equation, that God could become man and that Jesus could be both man and God at the same time as Spinoza wrote in one of his books concerning the deity of Christ, no way that could happen, no more than a square can be a circle. No more than a square could be a circle. We realize that a square can't be a circle and a circle can't be a square, but those are two different objects altogether and they're shapes and they don't help us to understand what John's telling us here. And that is that the one who is God became flesh and indeed is man. I've had it a hundred times, if not more, Someone say to me, Jesus is not God, he's the Son of God. And the Bible says he's the Son of God. So how can you say he's God? He's the Son of God. To which I can turn and ask, do you believe he's a man? Yes, he's a man. The Bible also calls him the Son of Man. Meaning that he is all man. So the term and the title, Son of God, all God. And while a circle can at the same time be a square, The one who is the God-man can at the same time be God and man and offers life and the only life that anyone could ever receive. He's the Son of Man. He's the Son of God. He's a Logos who is Lord. But look in verse 4, this Logos who is life is also the light of men. John loved uh, that terminology, light. He uses the word light 59 times in his gospel. Physical not light is necessary for life, isn't it? We all know that. If you have grass growing under a large oak tree that's robbed of light, it's going to die. The earth would change rapidly if there were no sunlight. The canopies of our world would just cease to exist. And then, therefore, so would we if it were not for light. We say positively that we are watching in this world light bring life. And we see plants, like in your yard, bend to the light. You plant them, they're straight, but after some time, they bend to the light. Why? Because that's where life is, it comes from. In the same way, spiritual light is necessary for spiritual life. We are, as Christians, people who have entered into a light that is from God, and it offers us life, and we're bent like that plant to the light. This is why our lives have changed. Anyone who has come into life through Jesus Christ, is drawn to the light of Jesus Christ and drawn away from the darkness of the sin in which we once dwelled. Our lives are different. Our lives have changed. When you hear someone's testimony who's come to Christ, what do they say? I'm not the same man, not the same woman. I've changed. Why? I now walk in the light. John says, if you have truly come into the light, you no longer practice sin. This is why we read here that Jesus John says, is the light of men. Look, verse 5, verse 5. The light shines in the darkness. And I want you to see this. The darkness has not overcome it. Some of you have a translation that says, and the darkness does not comprehend it. 
Darkness is overwhelmed by light. You ever been in a, a really dark, dark place? Never forget, the darkest place I think I've ever been is in a cave. And um, you can't even see, literally, you can't see anything in that cave when there's no light. And one of the guys with us took his watch and shined the light off of his watch and led us out of the cave with just a little watch light. And I thought, what an illustration. Because darkness cannot overcome light at all. Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Y'all are going to begin studying the book of Genesis. And in chapter 1, you read how the, the earth was form, without form of void and darkness was over the face of the deep. Think about that. You have God who creates everything, speaks everything to existence. And there it is. It's in void or uh, in some sort of form, but doesn't have order. This doesn't mean that it's in darkness of evil. It just means this. It's not been ordered yet for one purpose. Now watch this, y'all, because this is very, very important. It's not been ordered yet so that man can see the glory of the Creator in it. So what does God do? He says, let there be light. Where does light come from? We can't explain it. We can't comprehend it. We're told it comes from a place we don't know, except we do know, if you read the Bible, it comes from God. God is in an approachable light. Light came into being because God told it to come into being. Let me just read out of the uh, Encyclopedia Britannica, all right? Not Wikipedia. Let's go back to the old school. Light, electromagnet radiation, is detected by the human eye. Electromagnetic radiation occurs over an extreme wide of ranges of wavelengths, gamma rays, with wavelengths less than 1 by 10th to 11th power meter. And we who are human can only see a little bit of that spectrum. Light is constant. How could it be constant? We don't even know where it comes from. can't explain it. Uh, I can't explain light, but that's not going to let me live in the dark, and neither are you. You're going to turn. I can't explain electricity, but I'm glad we have it. It's constant. In a vacuum, it has a constant speed of 186,282 miles per second. But listen to what the encyclopedia Britannica goes on to say about light. No single answer to the question, what is light, satisfies many contexts in which light is experienced, explored, and exploited. In other words, we have no idea where light actually comes from, what it actually is. The physicist is interested in the physics of physical properties of light, and the artist is interested in the aesthetic appreciation of the visual world. But though the sense of light, light is primary tool for perceiving the world and communicating within it, we don't understand it. Think about what this encyclopedia says. It is through light that we don't understand that we understand everything else. What does John say? What does John say? In him was life, and his life, that life, the life of Christ, is the light of men. We don't understand how he spoke everything into existence, nor everything about his person, but without him, we understand nothing. Without Christ, you have no life. Without Christ, you have no light. Are you following John's reasoning here, this logic? Just as the invention of the telescope, we can envision light broadly, and the invention of the microscope 
the encyclopedia says we can look at the intricacy of the cell. So whether you go far away or close up, it takes light to understand life. It takes light to understand life. It not only takes light to live, it takes light to understand life. And to see what God does here is absolutely amazing because what God did, watch this, when he said, are you ready? Let there be light in the world. He ordered the world so that we could see a world that was created by a creator. I had breakfast this morning, y'all. It was a big deal. It was a big deal because my lovely bride cooked an incredible Breakfast of eggs and bacon and avocado. It was beautiful. It was sitting on the counter, hot coffee. That was awesome. You think I looked at that plate and thought, thank my lucky stars that somehow this showed up at my house. Or do you think I said, baby, thank you so much for organizing this creation so that I could enjoy it to the benefit of my body. That's what God did when he created the earth. He created everything, spoke everything into existence, but then he brought it into order in order that, in order that we might see when we walk through the woods and look at the beauty of that forest, there is a creator. We look at it and we don't say, wow, it just happened to get here. Our loving God's a communicating God and he communicated into the darkness and in that darkness, he spoke very clearly, but he spoke it even more clearly in the last days, Hebrews says. And he's not only spoken through creation so that we see that he is, in fact, a creator. He wants us to know exactly who he is. So he ordered a human life, not a created life, but a life that has always been, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ, so that we could, verse 14, behold the glory of God in our Savior. God speaks. He speaks clearly. He ordered the world into existence so that we might know there's a creator. If you're here today and you're not saved, take the light God's giving you and the clear language he's spoken through his son Jesus Christ to you that he in fact is Lord and the only way you will ever experience life I'm going to go further in this. Romans chapter 1, Paul says this. Listen to Romans 1. For the wrath of God. What is the wrath of God? We're going to say that's going to be one of his attributes that's going to be poured out in judgment. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. What do unrighteous men do? They know the truth. Don't want to believe it. For what can be known about God is plain to them. How is it plain to them? Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. It doesn't matter if you scuba dive or you fly in a plane. You go low, you go high, you go far. God, his attributes are clearly seen in creation. That's what Paul says. He says in verse 21, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were then, there it is, darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Don't, don't, don't be a fool. 
Don't walk out into this creation and wonder if there's a God. How foolish. How foolish. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for what? Images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And because of this, tell me if this is not where we are in America. God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth of God about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever and ever. Amen. This is why I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God and the salvation. And then we read that, as Paul says this in Romans 1.16, and it was sung so beautifully this morning, that the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. The righteousness of God is revealed where? In the fact that He is the Creator, and the darkness cannot get it, can't comprehend it. The word in the Greek for comprehend is a double meaning word. And I think this Holy Spirit meant for John to use that word so that we could have both meanings. The meaning of comprehend has the idea of getting it or grasping it. You know what that's like when you're sitting there and you're trying to solve a problem. You go, oh, I get it. You grab it. You have it. I got it. And then the other one, the meaning is to see something, to take over it. And put those two together and just think about maybe this, that if you have an enemy, you need to understand how that enemy operates so that you can overcome that enemy. In World War II, for instance, 1943, we were uh, going to really have to face, a. we were facing, and you know this, a tre- tremendous trial, and that was to be able to get on to Normandy at the epicenter of the, uh, of the war, and then in this massive invasion, take over that beach But in order to take over that beach, the United States came up with a plan all of a sudden called Operation Bodyguard. Have you heard of that? Amazing. Operation Bodyguard. If you've been to World War II Museum in New Orleans, you've seen some of the ways in which this went about as Americans with our ingenuity. um, Went about a a, a process of misinformation, letting the the Germans think we were going to land on a different beach. Even putting fake soldiers, inflatable tanks, and tents everywhere in that false location so that we could then, by some sort of guys, get onto Normandy. And you know the rest is history. This is how John says, the darkness does not get the truth. And it can't overcome the truth. Like it doesn't understand how the truth operates and doesn't want to receive the truth because of what the truth says, but nonetheless can't overcome it. Let me say it another way. The, the darkness, those who are in darkness, let's put it clearly, those who are in darkness hate the truth because of what the truth says and what the truth shows. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 3, men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. I made this statement some years, a couple years ago, and, and I've had several of you mention it, and I, I, I want to bring it back, that it is true that children are scared of the dark and grown men are scared of the light. 
Why? Because the light shows us who we really are. Sinners exposed, needing a Savior to to expiate our sin. This is what happens. John says, and Jesus came, and the the darkness hates him because what the, the light does. And you can see what happens next is this. Uh, down in John chapter 1, uh, in verse 10, um, the Bible says, He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not know Him. Imagine that. He, the Creator came to His creation, and His creation wasn't ready for Him. He had to borrow a stable and borrow a home because He didn't have no, anywhere to lay His head. He had to borrow fishes and loaves to feed people. He had to borrow a donkey to go into Jerusalem. He borrowed an upper room to give us the Last Supper, and He borrowed a tomb. Someone said the only thing that he ever owned was a cross. And I would beg to differ a little bit because that cross was mine. And it was yours. He came into his own, the Bible says. Look in verse 11. He came into his own, his own people and did not receive him. He came to people and he was resisted by creation and the people of earth. And he was rejected by his own people, Isaiah 53. 53 says, who has believed what we've said, and to whom has the Lord been revealed? For he grew up like a tender plant and a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, or beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. That's what John says. He was resisted by people. He was rejected by his own. And why is that? Because of pride. You read through the gospel of John, you're going to see, like in other gospels, how that men would not follow Jesus because they didn't need Jesus. The Jews would say, we're Abraham's seed. Jesus would say, hey, before Abraham was, I am. Hey, before Abraham was ever here, y'all, I am. They wouldn't get past the pride of their genealogy. They wouldn't get past the pride of the religion. They wouldn't get past the pride of their self-righteousness. Like some of you. Some of you. Lovingly and candidly, I'm going to say to some of you, you're going to go to hell because you won't get past your self-righteousness and pride. Oh, the light shone, showed you that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, but for whatever reason, your pride is greater and no humility. Look at this. They wanted an earthly kingdom too. In other words, the reason that the Jews rejected Jesus is they were regularly saying, we got to get rid of him, get him out of the way because he's going to take our place. They wanted a me-centered universe. They wanted a place where they could order their lives. But apart from the Creator, there's no order. There's no order in the universe apart from the Creator and the Sustainer. And there's no order in life without the Creator of life. There is no order of life without the Sustainer of life. There is no order in your life until the orderer becomes your Lord. He came here to order to put your chaotic, sinful life 
back into his purposes. And if your purpose is self, you have no purpose. This is the world we live in where men and women are rejecting uh, the, the, the lordship of the logos, the life and the light of men, and instead wanting to be their own God. And this is why Romans says God gives them over to do the crazy things they're doing, mutilating their bodies, mutilating children in child abusive ways so that they can change their gender from one gender that they were born with to some, some kind of concoction of an insane brain. I don't want to be identified with a creator. I want my own identity. And so children reject parental authority, don't want accountability. That's where sexuality has gone awry. It's why parents don't want to discipline their children the way God says to discipline children. And just ask any school teacher here if that's a problem. I want to set my own schedule. I want to do my own thing. I don't want him to order my life. Why did they reject Christ? Because when you receive Jesus, you have to receive him as the Logos, the Lord, who will order your life. He will reorder it, and then he will give the orders. And we just say, yes, sir, King Jesus, and we bow to the crown. They were fearful. They didn't want what it would cost them if they followed Christ. Well, they would basically say, I don't like the truth, I don't want the truth, I want to get rid of the truth. But what, what, what would happen to people like that if they believed? How do people live? How, how do lifeless people come alive? How, how do lifeless people see? Look, look with me in verse 12, we'll end here. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become the children of God. That is an amazing amazing promise. This is the gospel really in a nutshell. This is beauty and life and light every which way you can strike it. Here it is, but, but, there were those who resisted, some rejected, but some received. There are, but, those who received. Are you one who's received? These are those who have become the children of God. Interesting word for children here. Oftentimes in the New Testament, you see children who are uh, the heirs of God. This is not the idea. The idea here, technia, is really just a child who is an offspring. How do you become one who was once a child of darkness and death and now a child of life and light? How do you become the offspring of God? Because you weren't born the offspring of God. Very clearly, you don't, you, you don't get this by being born into it. We are not all the children of God. No matter what anyone says, we're not all the children of God. We are born into this world in darkness, and we are children of that darkness. We are children of wrath. We're children even of the devil. How, how, how do I become the offspring of God if, if, if I'm not the offspring of God? This is the question Nicodemus asked Jesus. How can I be born? I'm old. I go into my mother's womb. I'm born a second time. Jesus is like, are you a teacher? How do you not understand these things? And John puts it very clearly here, those who are born to life and have the light of that life receive him and believe in his name. This has to do with the divine intervention of God, that he would come into us who are rejecting him and would come so that we might receive him. This is to all, this is to anyone who can, who can receive Christ, to all who receive him, they, they can become a child, a, a son of God. You have to believe you have to receive and you have to believe into his name. 
To believe into His name means this. You are believing into His ability to do just what He says, to save you, to raise you from death to life, and to give you the light of life. Do you believe that? You have to believe not only that, you have to believe into that. That's what it means here, to believe into the name of Christ. Let me give you an illustration. If you're uh, drowning in the ocean and someone shows up with a lifeboat, you might know that you need a lifeboat. I know I need a lifeboat. I'm drowning. And you might even believe If I get in that lifeboat, I can live. But you're still drowning until you believe into the lifeboat. So John's saying this, all those who have the power to become the sons of God are those who not just know that Jesus is, they don't just have gnosis, the knowledge of the Logos. They don't just believe that He's the Logos, the Word, the life, the light. They believe into Him. They place themselves in Him. And because of that, they have the right, the word in the Greek is excusia, power to become the children of God. Who are born not of blood, verse 13, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. In other words, not of human descent. You're not saved. You're not a Christian. You're not in Christ because you are born into a Christian family. It's not your determination. It's not human effort. It's not the will of the flesh, nor the will of man. Titus says this, he saved us not because of works we've done, not righteousness we've done, but according to his mercy by the washing and the regeneration of the Spirit. This doctrine is very clear. If we're going to move from death to life, we have to put our faith and trust in the one who is the creator and the sustainer of life, the progenitor of life, and who gives us light. We have to believe on him. He enables our salvation because life comes from him. He he gives us the enjoyment of security because following Jesus then gives us this promise that we walk in his light and we no longer walk in darkness. We see what is true and we love it. And he empowers our witness. He empowers our witness. There are two ways we could take this today. One is to ask the question, have you moved from life to death, from darkness to light? If so, then you are a child of God. Some of you have not. You've yet to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then two, to recognize salvation doesn't come except by the will of God, by the power of God, And therefore, we can be the instruments of God to shine a light into a lost world and see God really flip the switch for somebody. I've got a rock in my pocket. It's uh, from Chatham, uh, Massachusetts. Have you guys ever been to the Cape? We stood at Chatham, Massachusetts. It was a cold August day, believe it or not. And uh, and we were there because my boys wanted to see where uh, the book, The Finest Hours, was written, the the story about uh, Boat Swainsman that rescued uh, people off the Pendleton T2 oil uh, uh, freighter that broke apart just off the coast. And in, in that story, as a true story, is that as these little boats are coming back, and just one in particular, all down along the coast, the people of the little town there had gathered with their headlights shining into the Cape so that people coming back, these rescuers coming back, could see the lights burning down low. It reminded me as I was standing there, and I carry this, this rock sits right next to my desk all of the time because I remember we're a lower light. And I didn't get that. I didn't come up with that. It was D.L. Moody who was preaching a sermon after the loss of life in Lake, Michigan, where the lighthouse went out and all the lower lights went out that men lost their lives because they couldn't see their way to the harbor. We know that the light of the life, Jesus Christ is shining brightly, isn't he? 
It's us who are the lower lights on earth that help men to know the way, the truth, and the life. That's why the song, Let the Lower Lights Be Burning, says, Let the lower lights be burning, send a gleam across the wave. Some poor, fainting, struggling seamen you may rescue, you may save. God has sent his searchlight, the Lord Jesus Christ, to shine into the darkness of our world to find those who are lost and groping in sin. And we are his witnesses that step out as lower lights to say, we believe that there is one way to heaven that's through Jesus Christ. There's one truth, and he has a name, a name above other, every other name, and one life, and that life is in Christ. And there is no other name under heaven whereby men must be saved. And when we share the truth of God's Word, we shine the light of the gospel into the heart of those who are in darkness, that God does something supernaturally we could never do, raises a dead person to life when they believe and they receive. Don't you want to be a part of that, Christian? We just got to speak up. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you've given us this time and this service to consider this truth. Help us as we apply it to our lives and the days to come. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask you if you'll stand. Uh, we're going to have an invitation. Here's what John says. If you want to be saved, if you want to become a child of God, it's not going to happen because you want it to. That's a good start. So, well, I, I want to and I believe. I believe I can become a child of God today by trusting Jesus. Great. You believe that you can, but that's not enough. The text says here we have to believe, and then we have to receive, and then God makes us become. So you see that order? I believe, and I'm ready to receive Jesus. You know, we don't say it around here like this. We don't say, hey, come accept Jesus. And the reason we don't, we don't want it to be confused I just have to accept certain facts about Christ. And if I accept these and check them off, yes, I accept that, I accept that, I accept that. And I'm orthodox and I'm going to heaven. You can accept all orthodox Christianity and still go to hell. Judas did. Don't be a Judas. Don't kiss the door of heaven and go to hell. I have to believe that I have to receive. Receive what? Not what? Not what? Jesus didn't come and say salvation is an attribute of mine. He said, I am salvation. I am life, and I am the light of men. Are you following this? Salvation is not a plan. Adrian Rogers used to say it always. He's, it's, it's a man. Salvation is receiving Christ. I believe, I receive. Then God does what I can't do. I become a child of God. Amazing. Only the gospel says that. Good news. Good news, y'all. Today, you could be saved. Pastor, I need to be saved doesn't matter how long you've been a part of a church or how long you've been religious or irreligious or not a part of a church. The real question is not that. The question is, are you willing to believe and receive? If you, if you will, you will become a child of God. I want to invite you to come and be saved. How do I do that? Leave your seat. Come forward and say, I'm coming to Christ. Maybe, maybe you as a Christian know there are some people around you that need a lower light shining. They are in darkness and they are in death. And the only hope for them is the light and life of Christ. And you're the lower light. Hey, for sure, Christ is shining. Creation is showing, but we're supposed to be saying. So would you get right with God if you're not sharing Jesus and trust Him to use you? You come right now. You do what God's laying on your heart. Come during this time of, of invitation.